folks, do you feel like everything these days is go, go, go? It's nonstop from work to friends to family and a million pressing issues. Sometimes you just need to take a playoff and hit the reset button. That's when you reach for a Coors Light. It's made to chill. Hey, it's that time of year in Minnesota again to get out on the lake, go to the cabin, sit back, watch the baseball. Coors Light is the perfect refreshment to chill during these summer months. There's only one beer out there that's made to chill. The mountains on the bottles and cans turn blue when your beer is cold, and that way you know it's time to chill. Hit that reset button with some mountain cold refreshment. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's literally made to chill. It's crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. Coors Light is the one you should choose when you need to unwind. When you want to hit the reset button, reach for the beer that is made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado, and as always, celebrate. Hi, Blue Wire listeners. I'm Greg Olson. I'm excited to partner with Blue Wire to bring you TE1, a podcast where I interview the tight ends who have revolutionized the position. Listen in as I have raw, in-depth conversations with the all-time greats like Shannon Sharp, Tony Gonzalez, Travis Kelsey, and George Kittle. We'll explore how the tight end position has changed over the last 60 years and what it takes to be the very best. Subscribe to TE1 from Blue Wire Studios today so you're ready for the August premiere. Hello, welcome to another episode of Purple Insider. Matthew Collar here along with Pro Football Focus data scientist Eric Eager and host of the PFF Forecast podcast. What is up, Eric? Man, it's August. I, I'm, I'm looking forward to uh, you know seeing some of these guys in training camp, and uh, eventually, you know, when the, when the season opens up in Kansas City, hopefully, we'll you know get to see some games. It's almost feeling like it's going to happen, and like it could be normal, sorta, in a week or two. Here, the Vikings are going to make a bunch of people available over the next two weeks, and then after that, we're going to have practices. And even if we have masks on the sideline. Watching a football practice will be the most normal thing that has happened to me in a very, very long time, or any of us just in America. So looking forward to that. I want to make this the superstars edition of the podcast because we have spent so much time on this show discussing players such as Armand Watts, Mike Hughes, Cameron Dantzler, like, and, and these guys are interesting, but... I feel like I've been negligent a little bit in leaving behind the guys who will most likely determine the Vikings' outcome in 2020. And I want to start with this. Kirk Cousins, I want to ask you, from a statistical perspective and your opinion, is Kirk Cousins still interesting? Because last year there was this back and forth of, can Kirk Cousins win the big one? Is he going to win on national TV? He beat the Cowboys in Dallas Stadium, which turned out to be kind of a blah win. But then he goes to New Orleans and he wins in the playoffs. And then they go to San Francisco and that thing happens. And I, and I feel like now we know every possible Kirk Cousins outcome of how he could play over the years that he has been in the NFL. And the debates over... What is Kirk Cousins really? I think they're kind of over. Yeah, I mean, we've seen the absolute low with him, you know, whether it's losing to Chicago in week 17 of 2018 or losing to Chicago in Chicago in week four. 
Um, but we've also seen the absolute best. I mean, we saw him, you know, in a, at a October play as good as any quarterback in the league. And, you know, that led the Vikings to wins over some of the easiest, you know, teams in the NFL uh, and, you know, got Vikings fans hopes up just so that they could be dashed Christmas, the, the, the Christmas time when they lose to Green Bay in, in a, you know, a pretty like disheartening loss. So I think he kind of is what he is, right? He's a, he's an up and down quarterback that, you know, needs, I think, you know, some, some good, some good things to happen to him from a support standpoint. Uh, to be good, I think he he's a quarterback that when when the team around him is you know playing from ahead, uh, you know he can be good, especially in things like play action and tight ends, you know crossing the field and stuff. But you know in in a situation like 2018 when you know they're playing from behind consistently, he you know is a fish out of water that can put up good stats, but you know will ultimately. Uh, you know, in many ways disappoint you. So, yeah, I don't think he's all that interesting anymore, frankly. Any outcome that happens with Kirk Cousins from now on, aside from him running for a 1,000 yards, would not <laughs> surprise us. If in week one he plays against Green Bay and it's a complete no-show and Zadarius Smith sacks him seven times and they score, you know, eight points, no one will be surprised. Okay, that happens a lot when he plays good defenses. If the very next week, then he comes out and throws for 400 yards, four touchdowns. Adam Thielen goes for 250 on all deep crossing routes where he was tremendous with play action. No one will be surprised. If he does show up on a national TV game and play pretty well and throw a game-winning touchdown, we won't be shocked. And if he also shows up on a national TV game and goes 16 for 37 for 200 yards, we won't be shocked. It's just... (laughs) I I almost think that we know exactly what you're looking at here and whether the Vikings are a good team or not in 2020 will be determined by lots of other stuff that isn't Kirk Cousins because he will very much be Kirk Cousins. In my mind, Kirk Cousins every year of his career gives you 10 chances to win. And last year they went 10 for 10. They won all 10 games where he gave you a chance to win. And in 2018, he probably gave you 10 chances to win, and you missed some field goals, your defense didn't show up against the Los Angeles Rams, et cetera, et cetera, and you end up winning eight. And the same thing when he was in Washington. He would give you 10 chances to win, and you know, you'd get eight and eight, nine and seven, that kind of thing. So it's what you do with your games that he plays really well, and can you win one of those games where he's played poorly? Because I almost, over the last two years, Eric, I can't think of a time where Cousins played really poorly, maybe against the Jets in 2018, where it just was, wow, this is not a good game for him, and they win. And, and it, at some point, you have to be able to do that in order for them to get any farther than Kirk Cousins is going to take you. Yeah, I think maybe the Denver game, they looked they looked really shaky coming out, and then he overcame. There, there certainly isn't these, like, Patrick Mahomes in the Super Bowl type situations where the, the Niners caught Mahomes on his worst game ever, and then in the last 10 minutes of the game, he just decides he's going to become the best player on the field. You know what I'm saying? And that, that's just not Kirk, and, and, and I think that that's when the Vikings are buying into Kirk, I think what they're buying into is, you know, the, the, the higher likelihood – that he's going to be healthy and he's started every game and he's not going to give you the case Keenum sort of like brilliance here and then throw two interceptions to DJ Swearinger there. And, you know, he's not going to give you the interception to Patrick Robinson or Marcus Williams in the, in the Minneapolis miracle game. There's a lot more just simply known about him. And that's the sort of certainty that they bought with the three year and the guaranteed 
you know, deal that they got him in March of 2018. So, but the, the, the point of the matter is, is like, he's not going to, I mean, he's like a running back. That's not going to get you. He's like Thomas Jones, right? He's not going to get you any more than what was blocked. Yeah, no, that that's exactly the way that I think we've all come to think of Cousins, and there will still be Monday morning debates. Can Kirk Cousins really lead this team? But even that, it might be passe after last year. When he has a great game, they'll go like, wow, Kirk Cousins was really on that day, and when he doesn't, well, yeah, I guess he wasn't. It's no longer, it must be something deep inside Kirk that makes yeah. him jittery in this situation or that situation. I just, I, I think that those narratives have kind of just dissipated into thin air at this point. Well, and, and the thing about it is, is that, you know, you don't need, I mean, we're entering a, a part, a, a time in league history when, you know, the, the really brilliant quarterbacks in the NFL are no longer going to be, um, you know, as prevalent, right? When you look at, you know, Rivers, you know, left his first team and, and went to, to Indianapolis, Brady left his first team uh, and, and went to Tampa Bay. Uh, Roethlisberger's probably on his last legs. Andrew Luck already retired. Um, you know, the league is gonna is gonna look a lot more like the way that we sort of remembered in the '90s when it was Aikman, Steve Young, Marino, Jim Kelly, and then like a bunch of Dave Craig's and a bunch of uh, Bobby A. Bears and stuff. And you know, when you're Kirk, you're kind of in that in that area where, okay, what if Steve? You know, like. Mark Rippon won a Super Bowl in the early 90s. Yeah, Jeff Hosteller did. Like, if you're in a situation where you catch the league and they're the three or four elite quarterbacks can't, can't do it one year, then you can have a chance. It, it was a lot harder, you know, for the last 10 years because the number of elite quarterbacks was so immense. Like, if Brady had a bad year, then it was, you know, Wilson or Ryan or, you know, uh, Rodgers. And, like, there's so many more degrees of freedom there for the league to still have a brilliant quarterback in the Super Bowl that might not be the case coming up here. And so the Vikings having a quarterback like Kirk Cousins might actually benefit them just because, you know, sort of if, you know, eight of the, you know, eight of the top 10 quarterbacks in the league retire and only three or four of the draft picks that come up become elite, then by, you know, by virtue of just straight numbers, he's going to obviously elevate himself. Yeah. I was thinking about this for the NFC and how many quarterbacks are within 5% of what Kirk Cousins is these days, just sort of all of the sudden. Like Russell Wilson is on a completely different level. Drew Brees will see where age is. If age is not a problem for this year, he's on a completely different level than Kirk Cousins is. But aside from that, I mean, how much percentage better is Matt Stafford than Kirk Cousins? How much percentage better is Matt Ryan than Kirk Cousins? I mean, there's a lot of these cases, and this is part of the debate with how much you pay him is – you know, for this year, he's only making $21 million and you have some cap space to add a Michael Pierce, which obviously didn't work out since he opts out, but you're able to do something like that next year. How much is that going to work when his salary cap hit goes to 31? And then we have that conversation again of, well, they couldn't sign this player, or that player, because you're paying this quarterback. But at the same time, going into a given game, and, and this is always a way to look at it, how people feel about the quarterbacks is Vegas will if the Vikings are the better team they'll give them the odds because Kirk Cousins can get you past another team he's going to get you what you are as a team Um, and, and that makes it so you're always in the mix I think with with Kirk Cousins you're not going to go four and 12 with him as your quarterback if you're bad and ravaged by COVID or something so all right that's where we are on Cousins not as interesting as it used to be uh 
I want to go to Adam Thielen here because two years ago, Adam Thielen is a dominant receiver, pro bowler. Same with 2017, just incredible performances, over 100-something targets, big, huge numbers, record-setting, one of the, the best receivers in the NFL, hands down. And then we get to last year. He's very, very good when he plays. And he gets hurt, deals with a hamstring injury, re-aggravates it. And now he faces a very unique situation without Stephon Diggs here and with other weapons that we're not sure about. Justin Jefferson, Irv Smith. I'm very high on Irv Smith, but I can't guarantee you that he's going to be great this year. And then just a lot of question marks at the wide receiver position. B.C. Johnson, can Jefferson step in right away? Is Chad Beebe a thing? Is Alexander Hollins a thing? We don't really know after that. Um, But how do we pinpoint whether Adam Thielen has the capability to dominate in the 100-catch range that I think it will require in order for this offense to be very good? He certainly has played before without Stephon Diggs, um, you know, when Diggs used to struggle with injuries. And, you know, he's been fine. Um, You know, certainly a player that – uh, you know, I don't worry about him so much. For me, it's more of worrying about – I mean, for me, it's more about worrying about the the rest of the offense because I think Thielen's going to be great. His 2018 season was the most valuable non-quarterback season in the PFF era for a Vikings player, which, you know, is pretty good when you consider that, you know, the 2009 team had, you know, Percy Harvin and Sidney Rice and um, – you know, Shavasante Shanko with 11 touchdowns. Adrian Peterson, you know, was a running back during that time. So he's great. And, and my issue is going to be that, you know, he, you know, the targets that Diggs gets are going to need to be replaced. And I think Thielen's going to replace a decent chunk of those. It To me, it's the – if they play a bunch of different – a bunch of, you know, quarterbacks who are better than, um, you know, than they are, uh, which they will this year compared to last season – the number of targets is going to go up substantially. If you look at Kirk Cousins from just a, a pure, like, you know, how many passes did he throw perspective? I mean, he threw a hundred and was it 122 more passes. Now I know, um, no more than that, 150 something more, 150 something more passes in 2018, 2019. I know he started one more game. Um, but the, the issue is going to be that they're, they're going to be facing different game strips. So it's not just replacing Diggs' targets. It's replacing the targets that you that you have when you're playing in a situation that is less conducive to running as much as they ran last season. And that's going to be really the tough one for me when I look at sort of like what's it going to be like for them. Get back to the conversation in just a minute, but first have to tell you about something very cool from our friends at Soda Stick. You probably know them for Minnesota sports-inspired hats and shirts and hoodies that are screen-printed in Minnesota, but Soda Stick also has artwork as well. You're going to want to check out their Man Cave prints, 20 by 24 prints representing everything Minnesota sports, from awesome throwback logos to legendary plays at first base to famous disgusting acts in Green Bay. They are on sale now for just $35. You can't go out to games at the moment, but you can liven up where you're watching them from. You want to get Soda Stick's very cool prints. Go to SodaStick.com. That's S-O-T-A-S-T-I-C-K.com and use the promo code PURPLEINSIDER for free shipping. Right. So when we look at Stefan Diggs 2018, if we're talking about having to play many more of those type of shootout games and throw more often, 
That was 140 targets for Stephon Diggs in 2018. So, uh, and Thielen was up in that range too. I don't have him right in front of me how many targets he had, but he was well over 100 in 2018. So you were throwing to both of those guys 280 plus times. Um, And now if you have to get into those shootouts, if you have to require Cousins to throw for 4,700 yards in order to match what you're going up against, especially with a defense that has cornerbacks have two weeks of padded practices to get ready to play NFL games. I mean, Holton Hill and Mike Hughes, I don't even think they have 1,200 snaps between them so far in their career or something like yep. that. And so, you know, if you're asking these guys to get ready in two weeks, Jeff Gladden to get ready in two weeks, you're probably going to give up some more points than you did last year. And it isn't just Adam Thielen's targets, but I do think if there's anybody who can – reproduce the Andre Johnson role of doing everything. Because when you go back and watch Andre Johnson under Gary Kubiak, he's the underneath receiver. He's the deep receiver. Yeah, he's the Kevin Walter. receiver. Kevin Walter was their second receiver, and he was kind of like a nothing. I mean, he was okay, but not – you know, it wasn't like they had two – they went didn't go too deep at wide receiver. Let's just put it that way. Right. Uh, Kevin Walter was a BC Johnson, I think. Just like yeah. – he's a guy, and he can definitely catch it if you throw it right at him. Um, but, uh, you know, I think that Thielen is capable of doing this. He's in his prime still. People talk about 30 like it's old. I don't think it's old for a wide receiver, especially with not a lot of mileage on his body. He only really started playing in 2016 as a wide receiver all the time. Uh, but I do wonder if you found anything with this, with teams that have to rely on one receiver. The Andre Johnson example is great, but uh, I would think that just the way that you've talked about say defense and how you need more average players than stars on defense, that it might be the same way with wide receivers where it's more valuable to have four guys who are good than one guy who's great. And then a bunch of other bodies. Yeah. I mean, the it's less so on offense because you get to dictate where you throw the football, but it's absolutely true that you can't just rely on one. I mean, I, we were watching, uh, you know, old Vikings games and I want to say there was an O2 and, you know, the, the Vikings, you know, had Moss and, you know, but then they tried to go with Dwayne Bates and Kelly Campbell and uh, maybe a young Nate Burleston at the time. And it just wasn't good enough, you know, because Moss was, you know, they could they could bracket him and stuff with coverage. Um, and so, you know, the, it, it's more important to have depth on defense than have depth on offense, but it's important to have depth both in both places. And the Vikings simply just aren't there yet at wide receiver. Um, which means that they're going to need Irv Smith to, you know, really emerge this season. They're going to need Kyle Rudolph to hang on for a little longer. They're going to need, you know, Kubiak to be as good as Stefanski was last year with respect to players like C.J. Ham and, and uh, you know, obviously Dalvin Cook. You know, they need him to, to make plays in the passing game. They need their offensive line to play well. Uh, there's a lot of things that need to be put into place. I think having Thielen there as a cornerstone is a good thing. Um, but, you know, I would be worried. I mean, if, if Thielen gets injured, which is, you know, certainly something that's happened before, um, you know, where are they going to go uh, from the perspective of, you know, targets on the offensive side of the ball? It, it's, really a, it's really a big question mark I would have. And as good as I think Irv Smith can be when it's third and eight, I mean, you know, you have to go down the field. And there are situations where you're down in a game by seven points late in the game, and you have to go down the field. And he has some capability, but not the capability of a wide receiver would be to get himself open and create big plays and things like that. And if you don't have that second, that third guy, I mean, I don't know how long we'll be 
referencing this name, but the Jarius Wright is just the perfect <laughs> example of the guy who shows up and gets 20 catches and 17 of them are for first downs. And, and I don't know, like, is somebody going to be that guy this year to help Adam Thielen? Because otherwise I think Thielen will be himself and he will catch a lot of passes and make a lot of plays down the field. I think he can do a lot of the things Diggs did. Um, I, I like Diggs more as an off the line of scrimmage type of guy uh, on the outside, but you still have the option to motion feeling to have them in you know, cut splits and condensed splits and all these things that they're going to do. So I don't worry about him necessarily not being able to do it when there isn't another great wide receiver. It's really everyone else is the question mark uh, on the other side. Well, let me ask you this first before I go to the other side of the ball in our superstars edition here, Brian O'Neill, Trending superstar? Like, what, what, what do we uh, – does he does he make oh, he, superstar Brian, edition? Yeah, Brian O'Neill, um, you know, I, I, I don't know. I can't remember who pointed this out. It might have been like Dan Barrero or something. But he pointed out that the Vikings have drafted, a, you know, basically one Pro Bowl worth of offensive line play in the last 10 years. Um, and it was Matt Khalil's rookie year, and he was an alternate who eventually made it. Brian O'Neill is should be in that ledger. Brian O'Neill is a great draft pick for the Vikings. Um, and he has, insofar as, you know, he doesn't, you know, fit the mold as far as, you know, being big and tough and all these things you expect, you know, in a, in a Vikings history, and I know Corey Stringer, the anniversary of his death was yesterday, but, you know, in a, it, you know, years where they had Tim Irwin at right tackle and, uh, you know, Corey Stringer after him and then uh, Phil Lodehold after him, um, the Brian O'Neill's not that guy. Brian O'Neill's more of a left tackle as far as a physicality standpoint, but the league has changed so much that those players can be immensely valuable to the teams, um, you know, that, that, that employ them. Uh, and O'Neill's there. I mean, he, he just wins more. He's not as great in the run game. He just wins in the passing game at an extremely high rate. And, you know, if Ezra Cleveland comes around and can play left tackle or, you know, they can get another year out of Riley Reef the Vikings are going to be pretty good at the two most important positions along the offensive line. Last year, they really weren't bad. I mean, Reef, I get the criticisms for him. If he faces a speed rusher, it's going to be a long day for you. But at the same time, that is not where the majority of the pressure was coming from. It was coming from up the middle, which usually doesn't happen in the NFL. But they were so poor at guard and so poor in pass blocking at center that other teams, I mean, when Zadarius Smith was playing against the Vikings, they would line him up over Garrett Bradbury and have him just run through him if they wanted to on a third down. Uh, and that is still going to be an issue because I don't know who the starting guards are, but at <laughs> least that right tackle, I mean, I think that Reef is a, is a serviceable average left tackle, and that's what you need. And I think O'Neal is trending toward a Pro Bowl caliber type of player, and his first year, what he was up against in his first year, he shows up to the Vikings, and I swear I thought he was a tight end. Like, I had never seen the guy before. I didn't know who it was from a distance. I was like, oh, that must be Josiah Price or some, like, rando tight end that they bring in who, you know, isn't going to make the team or whatever. And then he gets closer, and I'm like, oh, my gosh, that is their first round or their second round tackle. This guy's going to play tackle. And he might have been 280 or something when he shows up. He puts on a bunch of weight but didn't lose the athleticism. And what I did not know about the guy, the true test, I think, is are you tough? I mean, I, it, it sounds cliche, but he was put into that game week two, 2018, that epic overtime game 
And mm-hmm. right away, and I know Clay Matthews is a little washed at that time, but you go against Clay Matthews, who is like a legendary player for them, and he held his own. He got his ass kicked a couple of times but hung on for dear life. And I remember talking to him after that game and thinking, like, if this guy can get thrown into that situation and handle it when he is underweight and not ready to play at all, then I think he's going to be a very good player. And we saw him take a huge step last year. And I think he can continue to ascend because of where his starting point was. Usually by year two, you go, okay, we kind of know what you are. But I I think that there's even more there because he still was building on his body and and getting bigger and uh, still acclimating to a position that he hadn't started playing until the middle of college. Right, and that was always the, the you know the the hard part with some of these guys who are athletes, right? And and you know they they got uh, you know they kind of got jobbed by T.J. Clemmings in sort of the same way, right? Because he was a um, you know he was an athlete. He graded extremely well for us, interestingly. Um, not you know, but but you know when you, you look coming at coming out of college, not got a, yeah. coming out of college, yeah. and then he was yeah. terrible. Yeah, uh, it was sort of the impetus for us to sort of look back and try to contextualize these things. Um, but O'Neal, you know, when you look at, you know, he just, he just, you know, there's, there's so much value in not losing, right? And, and, uh, and toughness is a part of that. But just, you know, you look at the list, um, you know, Mitchell Schwartz does, didn't make the NFL top 100. He didn't make the top 10 tackles in that sort of scout thing that they did for ESPN. And it was just because he doesn't look the part. But I can tell you, he went like the whole postseason without giving up a pressure. And, and like, and you're facing J.J. Watt against Houston. You're facing, uh, you know, ten, Tennessee didn't have a great, but then the Niners legitimately have a great defensive line. Um, so when you can do that, you can give more help. Like, look at Eric Fisher. He's a top former number one overall pick. Is not a great left tackle. He's an okay left tackle. He's in Riley Reeves category. But the Chiefs can win the Super Bowl with, with you know, because they can sort of like shift their attention to, to Eric Fisher's side. And because they can leave Mitchell Schwartz alone, if Brian O'Neill ends up like that for the Vikings, like whether it's Rashad Hill at left tackle, whether it's uh, uh, Riley Reef, whether it's Ezra Cleveland, like there's so much less pressure on that player because the rest of the offensive line is sort of resolved. And that's really the, the potential he gives the Vikings, uh, you know, at that spot. You know, I want to go to the defense and not include Delvin Cook in the Superstars edition, not because he's not a superstar, but because we've talked about Delvin Cook a lot on the show with mm-hmm. as it pertains to his contract and everything that he brings to the team. But let's just comment real quick on Delvin Cook because he did show up at training camp. As we all figured he was going to, still can't exactly put my finger on why his agent said he wasn't going to and why Zimmer said he was told that he was, I mean, there, but then Zimmer there's wasn't absolute, told. <laughs> there's absolutely no – I mean, and again, both of us know him, Like, but there's absolutely no – uh no leverage for Dalvin Cook, right? Because you know the, it, the the new CBA made it prohibitive to 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 sit out, right? So I don't understand what they were trying to do there. Yeah, that was um, just an odd situation altogether. With Zimmer saying he told me, then saying no, it was the running backs coach he told, and then saying on a radio interview, I never said that. This <laughs> is just I don't know, whatever. Uh, I, I I plan on telling Zimmer at some point if I if we can talk in person. I don't know. Like that we did not need that kind of drama during a pandemic. Um, but anyway, so with uh, with Delvin, though, the big thing to me in terms of whether he continues the superstardom, aside from the injury issue, which we all know you just can't predict, it's those screen passes, though. 
Because last year's screen passes and throws behind the line of scrimmage were so preposterously successful for Delvin Cook. Now, I don't plan on him getting slower, at least not now, still in his prime. But that's one area where I look at it, and when I wrote my big piece on the Vikings offense and why they'll have to be better this year than they were last year to achieve the same results, that was one thing I was looking at, like, do we really expect him to average catching the ball two yards behind the line of scrimmage and get nine or 10 yards per reception? I mean, that is a lot to ask of a guy two years in a row. Well, and that's really why. So what do we attribute to that? I, I think Dalvin Cook's a terrific player and a, and a very good talent. But are, are we attributing that to scheme? Because it's, again, another reason why folks like me are like, we're not going to say running backs don't matter, but we're saying running backs don't move the needle because I think both you and I are looking at Stefanski and thinking to ourselves, he did a pretty damn good job getting Dalvin Cook in a position to do well, right? And 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 so because like that's part of the reason why running backs don't matter that much is because they that when the, the moment that they enter into the play in the passing game is a zero average depth of target situation. And then they have to, you know, the, the thing like Saquon Barkley breaking seven tackles to gain four yards, that's still an unsuccessful play, right? And how much worse is that, a, a gain of four yards when you break seven tackles and a gain of two yards when you, you know, go mad ass yada on it? It's not actually that big. And, you know, obviously Cook can break some of these things, but that's not really stable year to year, as, as I think you're alluding to. So, that's really where, like, if the Vikings are looking at should we pay Dalvin Cook, that's kind of, like, where the problem is, right? Because the problem is, you know, from a perspective of, like, is is then, is the stuff that we saw Dalvin do last year, is that repeatable? I think the majority of us will answer that question in the, with a no, right? And, and, that's, and that's really the tough part, right? Well, I think that anytime he has the ball in his hands, he's dangerous, and he's going to keep being good at that. But I also think that as the year went on, other teams started to focus on that element of it, and we saw more success from the defenses on those passes. So they're going to have to – and this was my point about when Mike Zimmer said – this is what I wrote at purpleinsider.substack.com. What Zimmer said was the offense isn't going to change, and my point was it better. I mean, when you use Dalvin Cook, can you put him in the slot? Can you put him an outside receiver? Can you run jet sweeps with him? Because – these screens that were there last year might not be there in the same way. And a a good example is 2018 that they tried some of that stuff. It wasn't as successful. 2017, Jarek McKinnon was like the screen God. And that's what got him a huge contract with the San Francisco 49ers. But it shows you from year to year uh, that it can fluctuate. And I think that they will have to make some changes for how they get him the ball in the passing game. And his capabilities open the door for more than just screens. So I'll be interested to see if they do that. Uh, two players on the defensive side in the Superstar Edition, you know who they are, Daniil Hunter and Harrison Smith. Uh, let me start with Daniil Hunter first. If Everson Griffin does not come back to the Minnesota Vikings, which at this moment I don't respect, uh, expect, but I also never count anything out with the Minnesota Vikings. Mm-hmm. If he doesn't, though, how different is the attention on Daniel Hunter? How much does that matter? Uh, I think it matters for sure. I mean, I think you can slide protection over in a way um, that – I think you can slide protection over in a way that's not trivial. Um, I think you can obviously uh, – yeah, having Griffin uh, uh, you know, in on the opposite side of Hunter I think was never – 
gonna you know gonna make Hunter worse off, right? <laughs> you know, um, and especially we saw it in the playoffs, uh, you know, against against New Orleans, like having both of those guys being able to do things like stunts. I mean, that was a, a game changer for those guys. So that's that's kind of where you know I I'm I would be a little bit nervous, you know, if I'm the Vikings defensively, is you know they already their pass rush was fine last year, but you know they lost something without Sheldon Richardson in there. Obviously, you know, now they go without Limbaugh Joseph, who is real, and now Michael Pierce is out, although he wasn't going to be a pass rusher, but who on that defensive line is going to generate heat uh, uh, aside from, uh, aside from Hunter? Um, And, you know, that's going to be a problem because they've had so much depth there. Um, I don't know, man. I, I, I'm a little worried, you know, and I, and I think Hunter fundamentally is going to be as good as he used to be. I just don't know if we're going to see it in the, in the form of sacks, which has really been something where he's been as far as closing on pressure and getting sacks. He's been one of the best, you know, we've ever seen. And maybe some of that is that you cannot roll the other way away from him. (laughs) If you're the quarterback, because you know that Everson Griffin wasn't going to stop and he was going to be on that other side. And when they had Tom Johnson, it was perfect or Sheldon Richardson, but even Tom, Tom Johnson to me was the ultimate example of a guy who just never quit when he was on the field. There were, there were not like horrible Tom Johnson games. It was always the same thing. Even at his worst, he was grinding guards back into the face of the quarterback. So you had nowhere to go. And Linval could pressure the quarterback at his best too on second down and seven or something if you're dropping back to pass Linball could make a difference there now those question marks are very much up in the air and if you sign I don't know Snacks Harrison he's not going to give you anything either if you sign uh Pico who used to play for or Peco Pico Peco? yeah Peco that's right um, he's not going to do anything either in terms well, of. Well, he wasn't. He wasn't great to begin with, right? So, right. Yeah, you, know, you know the 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 hard part is is like the league has sort of figured out that these interior players that can bring heat are are few and far between, and so then they've paid them. Uh, Chris Jones, for example, like he just got twenty one or twenty million a year from Kansas City, and, and you know I don't know if he deserved it necessarily given uh, you know the value of that position, but it's it's. Uh, you know, the, the, these guys are not sitting around somewhere. I mean, Tom Johnson was the exception, not the rule. We'll get back to the conversation in just a second, but have you ever heard of DealDash.com? It's the best, most honest bidding site where you can win things you'd never expect at a price that you'd never believe. They have over 1,000 auctions every day on electronics, appliances, beauty products, home decor, even cars. Here's how it works. It's like an auction, but every item starts at $0 and then goes up one cent every time you bid. The kicker is that the auction clock restarts every 10 seconds. That means every time you bid, everyone else has 10 seconds to answer or the item is yours. If you go ahead and buy now, Deal Dash is offering up our listeners 100 free bids upon sign-up on top of their other discounts. Go to DealDash.com and use the offer code INSIDER, DealDash.com, dot fm slash insider that is d-e-a-l-d-a-s-h dot fm slash insider we'll get back to football in just a second but first sports 
are coming back. So are your chances to bet on your favorite teams and events. Major League Baseball finally kicking off, and there's no better place to start wagering than our exclusive partners, Bet Online. Check out all the odds, features, and props to bet on, all available 24-7. So with the return of sports, Bet Online sat down with former players Eddie George, Harold Reynolds, and seven-time champion Robert Ori. See what they had to say and what it's like playing without fans in a series they're calling Fandemic. Visit betonline.ag for all of your odds and up-to-date sports news. And remember to use the promo code BLUEWIRE to receive your new welcome bonus. That's promo code BLUEWIRE, BetOnline, your online wagering expert. And, and the problem is that uh, with with this now losing Michael Pierce, is there's sort of a domino effect of maybe a player that you wanted to rotate that you thought had that Tom Johnson potential. He might have to play more than he's capable of. Remember, it took Tom a couple of years before he could play every snap. That is not an easy thing to do. So now you're asking a lot of bodies to be in there potentially. And I, I just think that with four guys or three guys who could pressure the quarterback versus one that we're sure of, and Afadi Adenabo, we'll see. Going up against guards on third down, versus going up against left tackles on every play, very, very different type of thing that you're facing. So if uh, Fadi Adenabo is even just average there, that's a huge difference from what Everson Griffin was, who anytime he played a full season was top 10 in the NFL in terms of pressures. Now I don't think you can count on that. Even in the situational role, Fadi Adenabo did not have the pressure rate that Everson Griffin was able to achieve because Everson was unbelievably good at football. <laughs> uh, so having that One across the- – from Daniel, one, one. Even if sorry, even if Daniel's the same Daniel, that you're still going to lose a, a, a big percentage from what you've had in past years. A hundred percent. I mean the the fact the fact of the matter is is you know when you look at um when you, when you look at the the way in which the the sort of Vikings have gone about their business up front, they've always struggled when their their best defensive player was by himself. You know so. You know, in the in the in the late '80s, you had you know Dolman, but you also had Millard, and then Henry Thomas and Al Noga, and then eventually John Randall came in and replaced Keith Millard. But then they traded Chris Dolman. Things got a little harder on John Randall. Then they let go of Henry Thomas, and things got a lot harder on John Randall. And eventually, they were terrible, right? And then you know Chris Hovan comes in. He's a number one pick, but then they get rid of John Randall, and that's almost impossible for Hovan and like the only time Kevin Williams was ever really like a 10 sack guy is when they had this guy named Lance Johnstone to his right you know and like the singular Jared Allen struggled but Jared Allen's best year was the year that Ray Edwards actually had more pressures than him in 2009 and 2010 and and, you know when whenever it's always been whenever it's been a one-man show they just have struggled defensively because yeah the one guy you know Hunter might still get 14 sacks but that's not going to be as meaningful for the Vikings because they're deep. Like it was, you know, the Jared Allen, the year that Jared Allen had 22 sacks, the Vikings were the worst defense in the NFL. <laughs> so you, you sort of need like a complimentary, you know, group there. Right. So to say, well, you've still got Daniel Hunter, everybody else better step up or that's not going to mean as much as you think it means. Well, um, and to, I think to the next people we'll talk about, you need to cover. Right. Yes, you, of course. Yeah. And, I, that, that's really the, the, the next tricky thing for them. 
And we might be next year talking about Jeff Gladney's Superstar Edition, but I don't know. Uh, or, heck, uh, Mike Hughes or Holton Hill or Cam Dantzler or Chris Boyd. You never do know. But I do know that Harrison Smith belongs in the Superstar Edition. I'm not going to put Anthony Harris in the Superstar Edition, even though the PFF numbers are in love with Anthony Harris. I think I'm just going to have to keep seeing it a little longer. He deserved to get the franchise tag. They're much, much better with him than without him. But if we're talking about the megastar player on this defense, the best player on this defense for the Zimmer era, it's Harrison Smith. And I I want to go there, Eric, and say that Harrison Smith, if he does what he has done over the last few years for a couple more seasons, I think he's a Hall of Fame player. Yeah, I think so. I mean, when you look at uh... – you look at just, you know, Jamal Adams was traded a couple weeks ago. Um, and the, the the really interesting thing about that was he got two first-round picks, another safety, a third. And, you know, Jamal Adams is a great player. He's a lot younger, too, um, than, than is Harrison Smith. Um, but Harrison Smith does kind of everything that Jamal Adams does sort of a lot better, right? And... And, and that's that. That to me, like when you look at you know the you know the way the the way in which the league is sort of trending, um, that's kind of you know I he he's sort of the first guy to do all that kind of stuff, the Derwin James thing. And so you know I think I think being one of the first guys to do something, being able to change the league that way, uh, is immensely valuable. And I and you know. And that defense, you know, they've they've gone through a lot of different corners. Guys have been good. Guys have been bad. You know, Trey Wayne's was good, you know, bad, and then he was okay. You know, Anthony Harris, he is he's played next to Anthony Harris. He played next to Robert Blanton. He played next to uh, some something called Jamarca Sanford for a couple of years. He's always been amazing, and I think that you know he sort of deserves that. You know, in in elevating a Zimmer defense from you know what was the worst in the league when he was you know you know when he took over the team to now one of the best. And I think if there's any position that, with all due respect to all the PFF stats, that is the hardest to give the true value, it's Harrison Smith's position and what he does. Not every safety, but Harrison Smith specifically. And the reason I say that is because I've watched it for four years Mm -hmm. up in that press box of quarterbacks thinking they know where Harrison Smith is going to be, and then they drop back, and that's not where he is. And there are very few guys that have the capability to do all these things, that he is such a study and a brilliant mind for the game that he blows up run plays in the backfield. He blitzes and has success. He covers people in the slot. Like These are all the things that everyone now is getting very excited about Tyron Matthew for, and Tyron Matthew is amazing at a lot of this stuff. But like you said, Harrison Smith has been doing this for the Zimmer defense for several years here, and he is the best of the best at doing it. I think he's still the best safety in the entire NFL. And as long as he plays for this team at safety, they've got a chance at a top 10 defense, I think, just because he does so many things. Now, if he gets a hangnail and misses three games, they might have the worst defense for those three games because – he makes such an impact on every level. And I don't think that there's anybody, and we saw this briefly in 2016, I don't think that there's anybody who can just take that spot and do what he does. Even someone who's been in the system and has played under Zimmer, that that, that is just a special circumstance. And that is what I, I guess would make me think, if he's still playing like he plays, 
they've got a chance to have a, a very good defense still, despite all the other things and despite the tougher schedule. Yeah, I mean, I, I have a hard time just because, and we saw it with Matthew in, in Kansas City, so it can be done. Overcoming one bad corner, I think, I think he's perfectly capable of doing. Overcoming the loss of three starting corners and youth in all three of those positions is going to be really tough. It's going to take Zimmer's best work. It's going to take Smith's best work. It's going to take even more out of Anthony Harris. Um, it's going to require, and, you know, to Zimmer's credit, this offseason they went and got Dom Capers to sort of think about how to play defense differently. I mean, Capers was a Super Bowl-winning defensive coordinator doing a lot of the things that Zimmer never has been willing to do. I mean, you look at Green Bay was playing six, seven defensive backs at times during during Don Capers' you know, tenure. Obviously, they were the odd man front. They were the you know three, four. The Charles Woodson went from being one of the best corners in football to being a safety, uh, you know, in that time frame. So that's that's I think one of the the, the things that you know hopefully Zimmer is going to take some of those because it's a lot easier to play with with safeties, right? If they were to play like a three, three you know, a three, three, five or a three, two, six with, you know, some of their defensive line depth issues and three of those defensive backs were safeties. I think that's going to be a lot easier to do than to try to just do what Zimmer has always done, which is, you know, essentially, you know, I'm going to play four, three when it, when I'm going to play, you know, four, three, when the time comes and I'm going to play, Four two five, you know, the seventy percent of snaps that another team is making me play nickel, because um, that's really what's been, you know, the the his formula, and uh, I just don't know if that's going to work given his current personnel. Yeah, it's a good point that um, bringing in Capers, he seems to understand that there are going to be additional challenges this year than there have been in previous years. Um, before we wrap up Superstars Edition, we have to include two more for sure, and then one I'm like. You tell me. Uh, Eric Hendricks, Superstar Edition. I don't know if there's really an Eric Hendricks storyline. Good at football. Really all he has been. Uh, just I, I don't know. Like, what's the Eric Hendricks storyline? Will he also be good still? Yeah, probably. Um, Dan Bailey is in the Superstar Editions. Great kicker. Finally, someone who makes the kicks. Uh, right? <laughs> well, you saw Kai Forbath got cut again this week. It's like Kai, Kai so, can't what? catch a break. There's is it so because many... of his pregame attire? There are so many kickers in this league that are so, you know, bad at what they do that the guy can't – the guy's played only one 16-game schedule since, like, his second year in the league. And he hit a 52-yard field goal in the biggest game of the He would have hit the 27-yarder against, against Seattle. There's no question that Kai Forbeth would not have choked. He proved that to us. Um, but Dan Bailey, star, great kicker. Uh, Eric Hendricks, not super interesting, but very, very, very good. Uh, Anthony Barr, is he in the, I mean, he gets Pro Bowls, and Zimmer will really uh, go on if you ask him about the hidden value of Anthony Barr. And if they are doing more 3-4 stuff, this could enhance the value of Anthony Barr. I get that question every Friday in the mailbag. Like, is that is that true, though? Like, I, I know you and I, I think, are in agreement on this. Like, just because Anthony Barr looks like an edge player, does that even does that mean he's going to be he would be good at rushing the passer from the edge? Like, how much actual evidence do we have that that's true? I say no. I say of course not because Mike Zimmer and Andre Patterson wouldn't have missed it. <laughs> they would not. They would not. Mike Zimmer and Andre Patterson would not have coached this player for this long 
and had no idea how he could rush against tackles. They know. They've tried it in training camp and practice, and they know that that's not a position that he can be in all the time, that he's much more effective as a creative blitz option where he's been very successful. This is the thing that a couple of years ago I tossed it out there about, hey, should they rush Anthony Barr more? That doesn't mean make him a defensive end. That means should they blitz him more because it's so successful. But these guys have used everyone to the max of their strengths from start to finish of the Zimmer era. And I have a really tough time saying, no, you know what, every other player they used exactly right except this guy. Like, I I think that they've got it right, that he is a situational blitzer and he's highly successful at it. And I think if anything, if they're going to save themselves this year with corners who are inexperienced, ramping it up now from him blitzing and using unique rush packages is a very smart idea at a higher uh, level than they have maybe in the past. So instead of one out of every 10 snaps, maybe it should be one out of every eight or something like that. But to think that he's just going to be the three, four outside linebacker and rush the passer all the time. No, I, I think they've used him exactly right. Yeah. That, and that's, I think, and maybe one of the reasons he decided to come back after the jets were going to make him an edge player is just, like it's just different. I like, guess it's just it's just something different to ask of a player to do. It's sort of like, you know, would, you know, maybe maybe it's a question about like Alexander Madison. That Madison's a great complimentary back. Would he be great if you made him? Now I know it's the sort of same thing, but if you made him into a, uh, you know, full time back, would he be great? Or you know, Christian McCaffrey. This is probably the better example. Christian McCaffrey is a pretty good receiver, and in the and in the rare instances when you split him out against a linebacker and he runs a wide receiver route, he's fine. That doesn't mean you should line him up at wide receiver and have him go up against cornerback 70 snaps a game, yeah. you know? Yeah. And I think Barr does really well rushing the passer when it's not the expectation, um, you know, when it's a blitz or something like that. But if you made him line up and beat tackles, you know, consistently, um, uh, then then that's going to, you know, th- that's, that's probably not going to end well. Hockey fans will get this one. And then we can wrap up on this, Eric. Uh, third pair defensemen. Everyone always loves them. They think, oh, they've got great Corsi ratings, great analytics. Move them up to second pair. Move them up to first pair. Playing against Sidney Crosby versus the other team's third and fourth lines, very different. So, uh, anyway. Yeah. Uh, well, this well, you're, been... about, you're saying Kyle Sloter's uh, preseason <laughs> escapades were not predictive of future success? Oh, boy. Let's see. I can't wait to watch him this year. Oh, it doesn't seem he has a job. You hate to see it. So uh, anyway, <laughs> Eric, this was uh, this is really fun. The Superstars edition, and no one will be mad at you this time. After the last episode, you predicted a six and ten season for the Vikings. So uh, you you have dodged that bullet this time. So uh, great to have you. The PFF forecast is the absolute best. I listen to it every time I'm going for a run, and you should as well. And follow him on Twitter if you dare at uh, PFF underscore Eric. And uh, we'll talk to you again soon, man. Thanks for having me on, man. This is always fun.